When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast, which is now twice daily, just in case one show a day wasn't enough. Every morning you can still get the full show as the news in the Premier League never really stops. Now at the end of the day, just as you're sending your final emails or about to close your laptop, we're delivering a quick seven-minute update with all the news that you might have missed over the day's Premier League action. You can get that on this feed, so keep an eye out for that and you'll spot them in the mix over the next week or so. Right now, though, it's the full helping, all three courses of Football Social Daily. A starter today of Premier League preview as we look forward to Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. Both teams looking to get their first win of the season at Anfield tonight. For Mains, we've got our regular Monday moan as we vent about the things that have wound us up over the last few days of Premier League. And for dessert, it's a delicious scoop of transfer news. Updates for Forest fans, for Chelsea and for Leicester City in the transfer gossip. To tuck into all that, Marley Anderson and Niall McCorn sitting opposite me. Are we hungry, boys? I am now. <laughs> I'm just wondering which one of us is the glass of wine, the cheese and crackers and the after eight. <laughs> I'll take cheese and crackers. I'm happy with that. I'll be an after eight. I'm happy to be an after eight. What does that leave me as? Red wine. Red wine. Very good. I hate red wine. Really? <laughs> hate you, red wine. How can anyone hate red wine? That's like hating cheese. By being under 40. <laughs> Well, as an accompaniment to all that delicious cuisine, we've got a slice of birthday cake on offer today as well because it is the 30th anniversary of the Premier League kicking off today, starting. And appropriate, I thought it would be, to gather our favourite Premier League memories throughout today's podcast. Just a very quick one. Your favourite moments from 30 years of Premier League history. We'll go through this as we do the podcast, but Marley... Very quickly, what would be your Premier League highlight from the last 30 years? I've got a few, but I, uh, I've, I've narrowed it down to to, to just the one. Um, and it's when Newcastle beat Man United 5-0 when I was about 19. It was like 1996, 97 season. Um, but it was one of my earliest sort of memories of football. And it was brilliant because I was the only Newcastle fan in my class at school. And everyone <laughs> growing up in Cumbria where there's no there's no team, there's no local good team around, they're all sheep who support Man United. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, oh, yeah, Man United are the best, blah, blah. And they were winning titles and stuff. And then to go and absolutely smash them 5-0 under uh, Kevin Keegan at St. James's Park with Philippe Albert scoring that chip for the for the fifth goal was uh, was as good as it ever got, to be fair, <laughs> for me. That's the same season as the I would love it if we beat them ran, isn't it? No. Oh, is it not? It's the season after, I think. Oh, okay. Because we, yeah, ninety five, ninety six was the I would love it if I beat them, and then we, then we crumbled. That would, um, that would be a popular. That's a legendary Premier League uh, moment for a lot of people. That, well, that was interview. that was gonna be it. I did, I was gonna do that, but it, then it's just it's just linked to misery after that because <laughs> I think we won one in twelve. After well, that's that game. the problem with everyone in this studio, isn't it? A Portsmouth fan, a West Ham fan, and a Newcastle fan. All our Premier League memories are mostly linked to misery. <laughs> yeah, well. it's a bit of an issue. Well, let's kick off with Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. We'll get Niall and my favourite Premier League moments very shortly. So, disappointment for Liverpool on the opening day of the season. It was that 2-2 draw with Fulham. How important, Niall, is it that tonight Liverpool show their quality, given that the other title contenders or top four contenders maybe have really started their Premier League campaigns with a bit of a bang? 
it is important, I think, to to set the pace or to keep pace right throughout the Premier League season. We say that, you know, the start of the season, it, it's always good to have a good start, but, you know, you can make up ground later on in the campaign. You only need to see what Man City did a few years ago where they were, what, 10th at Christmas? And then they ended up putting a ridiculous run together and cantered to the league title. That was, uh, I think, two seasons ago now. But it's fair to say that with how close things have been between Liverpool and Manchester City in the last few seasons, we've seen titles being won by a single point um, and the finest of margins coming down to those two teams as, as to who's going to win the Premier League title. So you do need to be at it from the first game of the season. You, you know, you can't have the attitude of, oh, it's all right, you know, we've had a slow start, but we'll, we'll pick up later on because these teams, Man City and Liverpool in particular, just haven't let up over the last few mm. seasons. So from a Liverpool perspective, a draw to Fulham is disappointing but they didn't play their best. And Jurgen Klopp was the first person to admit that in his post-match interview last week. He said, we played a bad game. Simple as that. And we managed to, to draw 2-2. Um, the first game of the season can always throw up some some adverse results. You look at last term where Manchester City lost 1-0 to Tottenham. First game of the season, they recovered from that and they went on to win the Premier League title. So I think it maybe is a little bit too early to start getting carried away with they have to win, they must win. But I can understand that mindset and mentality and perspective from some fans because it has been so close between the two teams over the last few seasons. And Liverpool, no doubt, will want to get their name on that Premier League trophy. And some people say that Jurgen Klopp's almost unlucky that he's come up against a Man City side in a Pep Guardiola team that are a machine, a winning machine. Um, the majority of the last few Premier League titles have gone to Manchester City. So for Liverpool to be such an accomplished team and, and not get their name on the trophy more, that will hurt. So they'll be looking to try and really get themselves in and amongst it and, and pick up a better performance than they did against Fulham. Certainly after the first two games, Man United fans will be feeling the same way that after Fulham and Palace as your opening two days, games most Liverpool fans I think would have yeah. expected to have six points after that point in the season, after the opening. I mean, it's, it's even that, Jim, like, you know, United are bottom of the table, you know, no points at the moment. And Arsenal were bottom of the table after three games last season and they ended up finishing fifth. Yeah. So, you know, it is, it's still pretty early in the season. Yeah, it's incredibly early. In terms of Fulham, though, Marley, will they look at... Sorry, in terms of Crystal Palace, will they look at that result against Fulham last week and go, hang on, we've got a, a bit of a chance here. There's a glimmer of hope. Can the Palace front line bully Virgil van Dijk in the same way that Mitrovic did last week? <laughs> You're asking a lot of uh, Odson Eduard and, and John Philippe Mateta to grow into double-hard Serbian <laughs> hitmen for uh, for 90 minutes, to be fair. But the way Fulham approached it could be something that Palace can look at um, because, and I think they highlighted highlighted it really well on Match of the Day uh, last weekend, how Fulham sort of hunted in packs and they were very energetic and they were the, the press was very, very good. Um, I think Palace do play a similar way, especially under Vieira, since they've they've came in and uh, and changed the way of of playing. I think under Roy Hodgson, needs to sit off and soak it up and hope for the best. Um, whereas under Vieira, they're a bit more proactive and they'll go and try and win the ball back higher. Um, I think that's the way to get Liverpool because if you play them in November, after like what like fourteen ish games, you know they're they're in they're in sort of top gear they're as good as they're going to be sort of thing they're they're nice and uh, fluid and everything mm. whereas at the start of the season you've seen it last week they're a bit rusty in the community shield they were a bit rusty but Man City were more rusty and they, they got away with that one um, and won that game but against Fulham you know I think if if Fulham had did that to Liverpool in November, December you know Liverpool would have found a way around them and they'd have, they'd have been too slick and too good but they were just not quite there. And if they've got to improve this week, because if, if teams start start continuing to work them out, um, it'll sort of, the rustiness patch will carry on more mm. and then they'll drop points. And you don't need to drop too many points this season for, for City to go, oh, well, the door's slightly ajar here. Let's go and kick it down because yeah. Liverpool lost two games last season and didn't win the league. So, <laughs> you know, you're, you're looking at a, a draw to Fulham on the opening day. And even though it's you, people got out of thirty-seven games left to go, there's still not that many times that, that the top top teams now draw in, in Premier League seasons. So you have to get off the mark really and and sort of put their minds at at at, uh, at rest. I'm really interested to see how the World Cup affects this season, mm. with there being such a 
sustained break in the middle of the campaign. As Marley says, you know, you get to November and teams are just starting to hit their straps. You know, you're starting to find form. Players have settled down, new signings and stuff. And all of a sudden, bang, you've got a World Cup in the Middle East. Players are going to want to really perform for their countries. For those that aren't going to the World Cup, whether they'll carry on training and whether they'll get a warm weather break remains to be seen. But how will that affect the momentum of the Premier League? Let's just say a team like Brentford at the moment, who are third in the table, absolutely flying the first two games. They've done very, very well. Drew, drew with Leicester, beat Manchester United. And you know, say, let's say they're in the top four or the top six come November. International break, World Cup comes. At the middle of December, when the Premier League resumes, are they going to be back to the same consistency as they were? I don't know. Could I think go any way. It, it, absolutely. And I'm excited to see what happens. In terms of Liverpool, you're right. There is no need to panic yet. It's just a draw against Fulham and tonight a win at Palace gets them back on an even keel. But the big news from that Fulham game, more so than result, was arguably the hamstring injury that Thiago Alcantara picked up. He's going to be out for a month. How disruptive is that going to be for Liverpool, Niall? Um, it's hard to tell. I think he's nat- injured all the time. Naturally, he? so, yeah, <laughs> naturally, used to it. naturally, he's a very good player. So let's let's get that out of the way first. He's a very good player, but it's not like Liverpool haven't had to deal with injuries to major players in the past. I think there was a time where Henderson spent a sustained period on the sidelines. Um, Alex Oxley Chamberlain has spent the last two and a half seasons <laughs> on the bench or injured in some way or another. Yeah. Um, so. I think that might be the concern, the depth in midfield, who comes in to replace um, Thiago in, in the centre of the park. Uh, Naby Keita is someone who maybe hasn't been as consistent as Liverpool fans would have liked. So I'm, I'm not sure how much of an effect it will have. Uh, Fabinho and Henderson are two very good players. James Milner is always consistent when he comes in, seems to be or seems to have been 30 years of age for the last eight years. <laughs> he just doesn't see, he keeps performing at the same level. So uh, I think we talk about these squads, the quality of the players um, that they have. I think that, that one player missing shouldn't make too much of an impact on a, on a side like Liverpool. I think that every player knows their role. Everyone knows the system. Everyone knows what they need to do. And I think that that is always a benefit when a, a big player goes down with an injury. You can trust other players to come in. Um, Curtis Jones is a young midfielder that has been getting more and more opportunities over the last two seasons. Could he possibly come in? Could we see him get an, uh, an opportunity, him get a chance? Um, you know, he's played in some big games before. I remember a Merseyside derby against Everton in the FA Cup a couple of seasons ago and he just totally ran the show. So, you know, it, big matches are not uh, sort of below his pay grade, so to speak, or above his pay grade, I should say. So I think Liverpool do have options. Thiago's a good player. Whether it should make a difference to them winning or losing the game, I'm not so sure. Word on Palace, Marley, because last season we all wrote Palace off. They had too many players out of contract. They had an inexperienced manager coming in. And I think the job that Patrick Vieira did at Crystal Palace last season kind of speaks for itself. I haven't heard them being mentioned in too many conversations this year and I think it's because no one really knows what Crystal Palace are going to do good or bad what do you expect from them this season um more of the same really I think they'll be somewhere between 11th and 14th in the league and that's that's pretty much where they finish every year I think I don't expect them to kick on and push towards the top 10 without somebody like Conor Gallagher I think he's he's a big way of of how they played last season mm. and he was a big sort of um key to their success sort of thing. Um I think when you take him out and they haven't really replaced him that I can think of with with a similar type of player. Um They've signed this uh Czech so, Ducore, haven't they? But I'm not sure he whether look, he's a similar He's a bit style. deeper, isn't he? A bit mm. of a destroyer. He looked good against Arsenal in actually. I I watched most of that game last week and he was uh he did look good and, and combative and full of little nice touches and stuff, but yeah, I, th- I think with with Palace, I think they need the strikers sorting out. I don't know whether Mateta or Edouard are going to get you sort of 12 to 15 goals and I think that's the key between mm. sort of mid-table mediocrity and obscurity versus a team like threatening to push for that like yeah. that last European place or, or ninth or 10th or something like that. So Gallagher scored eight goals from midfield last season for Crystal Palace. Yeah, a lot of them were at the start of the season as well. He seemed to start like house on fire. Um, but there's there's talk of him maybe coming to Newcastle uh, with the there's talk with, of everyone going to Newcastle, yeah. Isn't there? <laughs> well, yeah, our our owners were with Todd Bowley at uh, at the weekend, I think, 
um, watching the game with him or something. So it'll be uh, maybe. Ross Barkley that turns up at St James's Park, not Conor Gallagher. <laughs> it'll be me arriving in the car park <laughs> straight after him to let his tyres down. Or well, the Saudis might just want to buy Chelsea off him instead. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Is there going to be any change to the status quo here? Essentially, so I think it's ten games, ten Premier League matches where Crystal Palace have failed. Well, Liverpool have beaten Crystal Palace in the last ten. Premier League matches straight now, which is their worst record against any other Premier League team. I might well go back to that. Uh, Chris, is it Chris Danbull they called it, or Christ mm. Danbull when uh, three three when they blew the league from three 0 up? Oh, okay. I remember it well, Dwight yeah. Gale. Yeah, Dwight Gale. Was it a hat trick? I think it might have been. Colo Torre yeah. made a, a shocking mistake. I seem to remember, or maybe that was against West Brom, but Liverpool. Yeah, um, they did. They did throw it away. One thing I think I read the other day before the Arsenal game, which was the first game of the season, wasn't it? Palace against Arsenal was, I don't know how true this is or whether this was just one of those fake social media stats that you see, but it seems to have stuck in my head was that Palace had one of the better records against the top six sides in Mm. the Premier League last season. Mm. So um, for them to have uh, have come up against Arsenal and Liverpool their first two games, it's always going to be a tough start. But, um, you know, they beat Manchester City. Uh, as well in recent recent years Crystal Palace they've they've made life difficult for some of the bigger teams um, so worth bearing in mind I guess don't write them off yet that is an 8 o'clock kickoff tonight for Liverpool versus Crystal Palace we are going to get all whingy next because it's time for a Monday moan next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. 30 years of the Premier League today. It's the 30th anniversary of the very first ball being kicked in Premier League football. So we're recounting our favourite Premier League memories. Niall McCorn, as a Portsmouth fan, are they <laughs> few and far between? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, my greatest memory when Portsmouth were a Premier League team was when we won the FA Cup and then we got into Europe, played AC Milan in the UEFA Cup. But obviously they're, those they're don't not qualify as Premier League, League memories. Getting him on a technicality. I was getting there. I was getting there. <laughs> I know they don't count as Premier League memories. Um, one thing that is always prominent when you're a Portsmouth fan is the rivalry we have with our neighbours down the M27, Southampton, who have historically, and I have no um, problem in admitting this because it's fact, have always been in a better league than us pretty much throughout history. They've always been above us and historically they've always been a better team than us. However, in terms of their silverware and their trophy cabinet, is bare. They've won one FA Cup. They've never really won a league as far as I can remember. Um, they're a pretty boring team. They're always fighting to stay up in the Premier League, whereas Portsmouth is a bit of a roller coaster. We went up, we won the FA Cup, we've come down, nearly went bust. League 2, League 1, still in League 1, you know the sort of journey being a Portsmouth fan is um, is one I'd rather be on, to be honest. Um, but when we played Southampton in the Premier League, those early years when we got promoted in 2003, we had some good games with them. Um, so I remember when Harry Redknapp jumped ship and went and managed Southampton after he kind of left Portsmouth under a bit of a cloud. He fell out with our owner, Milan Mandaric at the time, decided he was going to leave Portsmouth and he underestimated the size of the rivalry between Portsmouth and Southampton, which I think a lot of people do actually. There's a lot of hatred between the two clubs because they don't play each other often. So for us to then play each other in the early 2000s in the Premier League, those derbies were absolutely crackling. I think they beat us once in the FA Cup, 2-0. But in the Premier League, 
we were establishing ourselves as a better side. And Harry Redknapp jumped ship from Portsmouth. He had just got us promoted. A year later, he had gone and he had left to go to Southampton. That just never happens. Mm. And we played them at Fratton Park. They came to our place and we absolutely demolished them. Smashed them 4-1. And uh, Lamana Lua-Lua was backflipping all over the place. <laughs> Yakubu was running Legend. off down to the corner flag in, in you know the way that Yakubu does. It, it was an absolutely brilliant day at Fratton Park. I'll never forget it. And Harry Redknapp ended up taking them lot down. Uh, and relegated them to the championship. Um, I think he learned his lesson because then he came back to Fratton Park and ended up winning the FA Cup with us before leaving to go to Tottenham. But um, that's another story we, which I won't get into. But that's one of my favourite memories is us beating them lot down the road 4-1 when all of the talk was about how they're a bigger, better team than us. They always have been. Portsmouth and the new boys to the Premier League. We absolutely whooped them. And we beat Manchester United a couple of times as well during that period. It was a really good time to be a fan but non-Portsmouth related, my favourite moment would probably be either Leicester winning the title or when Jose Mourinho first touched down in the Premier League and did that absolutely oh. electric interview. It was the same sort of time period, actually, wasn't it, as I was just discussing. 2003, 4, 5, that sort of era. I was a young boy starting to watch more Premier League football. I am the special one. Yeah. I'll never forget that. What an interview good, and what a character. good moments were off the pitch, actually, rather than on it. Loads on it, but loads off it as well. Lovely to see a bit of bitterness creeping into Niall's favourite <laughs> Premier League moment as well. I thought Niall was just going to mention Glenn Johnson's uh, oh. chest and left foot smack. <laughs> oh, oh what God. a Matty Taylor's belters. But I mean, we. I, mean, I think we could have an all-time Premier League goal of the season <laughs> contest and there'll be at least six Portsmouth goals in that list. Yeah. Right, let's get on to having a whinge about the weekend's football. It's time for the regular Monday moan. I'm going to start today with the thing that bugged me most about the weekend's football because it's fairly quick. And can we please stop commentators preparing crap jokes before games based on player names. Stop it. If it's off the cuff, I don't think I've got too much of a problem with it. It's kind of forgivable. But when the commentators have clearly worked on the train down to the game, writing out players' names and coming up with puns, I think it just needs to stop. So watching Forest versus West Ham this weekend, as if I wasn't angry enough already, <laughs> Daniel Mann, who was commentating on the game for Sky Sports. Oh, I like Daniel Mann. I, I like him as well. He's a good commentator. But he at one point he said... Aaron Cresswell, more like Aaron Crosswell. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh God, stop horrendous. it. Just stop it. Now, Wilfred and Diddy was a player who suffered a lot of this. There were loads of puns like, did he mean to do that? Oh, or yes, in Diddy, and all that kind of thing. We've heard them all. They make us cringe every time. So please, just stop it. <laughs> do you know what? That's just reminded me of Martin Tyler. I was going to say, the, that's the worst the one, isn't it? one where he said De Bruyne De Arby and it was like that doesn't make sense <laughs> like did that sound good in your head you absolute idiot you silly old wet wife exactly. that is terrible it doesn't work it never works so that is my Monday moan stop it stop it right Marley what do you want to whinge about my, I didn't have too many from this weekend which is rare for me I normally got five or six to choose from but <laughs> um, the one thing that, that only knocked me slightly right was um, when it was actually one of the best TV moments of the weekend because it was um, Redknapp and uh, Neville having a, a, a little argument with each other on mm. Sky Sports mm. and it got quite heated. It was really good TV, really good viewing. Um, you know, both people making decent points. You know, Neville's Neville's very good. Like, I'd hate to get into an argument with Gary Neville because he knows his onions like big time with 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 how he is in... Yeah. The world, you know, is an owner, so he knows what it's like to run a club. And especially an opinion on Man United as well. Yeah, and so he's got the experience, he's got the stuff to back it up, and he's got the the calmness to stay thing. And Redknapp's a bit stupid, isn't he? So, but Redknapp was never winning this argument, but he was doing all right for a bit. And then he lost he lost his head when he said, look at me when I'm talking yeah. to you. Yeah. Like, a, like a teacher who te who's like, you've been naughty in like middle school or something. And uh, he said, look at me when I'm talking to you. And I was like, this is mint. This is great. But then the thing that knocked me was Redknapp was doing all right. He was sort of holding his own. And then he said, oh, well, you wanted Antonio Conte. And if Conte was at Man United, you know, he'd have, he'd have got way more out of the players. And that's where he lost it for me because absolutely he would not have got best out of the players. He would have gone straight to the board and cracked some heads together and not, allowed Man United to be what they are now mm. like the first thing when anybody talks about Conte you know exactly what he's going to get because he needs financial backing massively 
And if you don't do that, he'll walk away. He nearly walked away after Burnley last year with with Spurs, um, and he was at you know straight in, straight into the transfer window. And they'd signed four or five before anybody had come back off pre season. So to miss the point of that, like Conte doesn't work with what he's got. He gets what he wants. That's his management style. And Redknapp like lost, like. I thought he was doing right in the argument and then he raised that and it was like, well, that's not how Conte works. So Conte wouldn't have came to Man United and got the best out of McTominay and Fred. He'd have came in and went, you're crap, you're crap. I'm going to sign Bissouma or I'm going to sign Neves or I'm going to sign Tielemans or whoever it may be. So that just annoyed me. That was it. That's fair enough. And it is a superb argument to watch. There's loads of clips all over social media. You can find it easily. But Jamie Redknapp scolding Gary Neville with look at me when I'm talking to you, was brilliant because <laughs> Neville was just kind of looking into middle distance at the time, clearly preparing his neck. To be fair, that would buy me up as well because it was clear when Red like, when Redknapp was off on one and he was getting incensed, Neville was just going, Jamie, 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 as if like, you know, you don't know what you're talking yeah. about. And it was quite Patronizing. condescending. He knew, patronising a bit and he knew what he was doing. <laughs> I thought Redknapp's going to start swearing and chucking <laughs> things around here, but... He I held it together. I love but... to see that between pundits. I like a little bit of yeah. niggle. There's nothing worse than... And it, it, it yeah. felt genuine as well. Like there's certain, Oh, it was, yeah. There's certain places where it's manufactured, isn't it? And it's like, well, you say this, you say this. Yeah. But they actually felt like a genuine little bit of niggle. I like yeah. that. I liked it a lot. Now, what do you want to whinge about? Well, um, much like Marley, there's quite a lot to like about this weekend in the Premier League. We had a brilliant game last good, night, the yeah. evening kickoff. Tottenham against Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea probably deserving to win. Question marks over the referee's performance. I'm not going to moan about the referee. I actually thought Anthony Taylor actually had a really good game last week. In his, well, I can't remember what game he was doing, but I remember thinking he had a good game. This week, not so much. And that is just refereeing in this country. The consistency is not always there. But that game, we saw a bit of a crackle between um, Antonio Conte and Thomas Tuchel, both getting sent off. I mean, there was just loads of good stuff. Manchester United getting beat, obviously, was a huge story this weekend. I was a bit annoyed at uh, South uh, Leeds, sorry, for throwing it away against Southampton, as you'd understand. Um, but my biggest annoyance is actually myself this week. And I hereby announce my retirement from all forms of any prediction of any kind <laughs> on Football Social Daily. And I will not be coming out of retirement for the foreseeable future because in our pre-season show where we did our predictions for the campaign, my sort of manager of the season potential, I picked Eric Ten Hag. And I picked Eric Ten Hag because Manchester United were at such a low last season. I thought he's going to need to do an exceptional job to turn it around. And if he does do so, I think he will deserve more credit than he'll probably get. Um, Now it looks like the depths have been even, you know, dredged even deeper at Manchester United. So the job's even harder. So didn't make a particularly good uh, prediction there. Uh, predicted that Chelsea might underachieve this season. Um, they are currently sixth or fifth, which is where I predicted them to finish. But from what I've seen from them the last two games, particularly yesterday against Spurs, I think they looked a much better team than mm. Spurs. Much better team than Spurs. And everyone's putting Spurs to finish third. So I'm a little bit annoyed at myself for maybe uh, not not trusting uh, Chelsea there. And then my signing that I picked for possibly best potential signing of the season was Aston Villa's defender Diego Carlos who's now ruptured his Achilles and is going to be out for a number of weeks. So my wow. predictions have not gone particularly well. And of course, FPL as well, which I've not had the greatest of start either. So I'm, I'm more annoyed at myself than anything else for my dodgy predictions at the start of the season. Where currently are you sitting in the fantasy Premier League? Uh, 1.7 millionth at well, the moment. Very good. <laughs> well done. Uh, in the Sports Social League, I, I'm not too sure. Um, in my four-team league with my mates, I'm third. And the fourth place person has already told me they don't plan to do any changes to their team for the whole campaign. And uh, I'm only about five points ahead of him. So it's not going particularly well. Um, I'm 97th in the Sports Social Fantasy League. Uh, and I think, Marley, there's far um, more than 97 people in that division. Isn't there? 117 in total. So yeah, I'm, I'm comfortably I'm, I'm mid-table. I'm not doing much better. I'm 73rd <laughs> in that. So. That means I'm best out of the three of us. I'm well, 53rd, uh, which isn't particularly impressive. There is still time to join the... And McGinley's 10th. Is he? I'll look forward to uh, listening to what um, Tom from Who Got the Assist has to say this week to try and help me out because I need some points desperately. If you do have any questions for Tom, our fancy football expert, by the way, you can get them in via the social media, the brand new 
Football Social Daily Twitter account is probably the best way to get in touch, which is Marley. At FSD Pod. Lovely. Right, we're going to go transfer news next. News for Chelsea, news for Forest, news for Leicester City. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. Final bit of today's Football Social Daily. Not just a regular podcast, also an anniversary podcast. 30 years of the Premier League being marked today because it is the 30th anniversary just me to go with my favorite premier league moment and as we've kind of already touched upon there aren't many big moments where west ham are concerned in the premier league and it felt a little bit wrong to pick something like a single goal like palo de canio's against wimbledon or pick a victory against spurs which tends to be our highlight a single win here and there so instead the premier league memory that i think's embedded most in my head is Man City picking up their first league title because I think it was an exceptional football moment and I was in a pub in Manchester when it happened. I think it's the greatest moment in Premier League history. That and Leicester's title win, I think they're very close. But um... It was the big swing, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. The swing of emotions because I was in a pub which had City and United Well, the split screen element of it just makes it so Mm. much more dramatic, doesn't it? Yeah, and the United fans were all celebrating and then they switched to the... QPR versus City game and the Balotelli Aguero moment happened and suddenly it was just this massive shift between everyone in the pub going from ecstasy to devastation one side Man City fans just feeling the joy of being the underperforming team which is something I can 100% relate to that kind of the, the the lesser team in a city and suddenly getting that feeling of ecstasy it was a really special moment and I've got a bit of a soft spot for Man City anyway particularly with what they've done in Manchester in terms of elevating the city and building the infrastructure so that is probably yeah. my favorite that iconic is moment. the moment in premier league history yeah, as well it like is. it's not even close for me yeah. like what what's second leicester, leicester winning the title yeah. like I, that's quite it's kind of close to be fair but winning the title happens over months whereas that one moment i was in a bar i was in uni uh in uh a bar just across the uh the way and i was jumping up and down i wasn't even a city fan i was yeah. you know but for that, that emotion was, was insane. I it was on another level. heard it on the radio. I was listening, I was in the car listening to it on the radio. So that was a different experience for me. Yeah. Um, but different it was, commentary. Exactly. But still equally as kind of impressive with the way it went down. And it is the greatest moment in Premier yeah. League history. I think it is closely flanked by um, Leicester's title win. But I just think... Put it this way, last season... It was way, a moment though, yeah. wasn't it? Because it was but, such a mo- It was a but, big thing that pivoted in seconds on a yeah, single... It's iconic. And if you think about last season, the way Man City won the title with, with Liverpool also you know, going for the title on the final day, if 2012 with Aguero didn't happen, that title win last season for Man City, people would be saying, oh, that's one of the best moments in Premier League history. Mm-hmm. It's not even in the top five. Yeah, yeah. Because of how good the Aguero moment mm. was so yeah amazing stuff the only time I think I've come close to that as a neutral that kind of emotion and excitement was actually Manchester United winning the Champions League final against in Chelsea ni- no or, in 19- or the treble 99, okay. the, uh, the Bayern Munich game I think that was the only moment where I've kind of got swept up in the emotion so much as a yeah. as an independent as an indiv- as a well, neutral actually supporter. I mean just just keeping on the Manchester theme when Manchester United won the Europa League in 2017 just a, a kind of a matter of sort of 10 days after the arena attack. That was quite a nice moment, yeah. actually. Um, and there were a few City fans that uh, I've been told were, were quite sort of pleasant and welcoming towards Manchester United because it was good for the City. So, I mean, you, you know, it's good when football does have that impact, I think. Yeah, there we go. There are favourite Premier League moments. I have no doubt that there will be a poll or a question poised on our social media later if you want to check it out and contribute your favourite Premier League moment from 30 years of history. Let's wrap up today's podcast with a bit of transfer news. 
starting with Chelsea and the links between Chelsea and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang won't go away at the moment. The Mirror are reporting that Barcelona have turned down £12 million. The Metro claiming that Barcelona want £23 million, both papers suggesting that the player wants to stay at Barcelona and fight for his place there. And the Daily Mail have chipped in as well. They say talks are ongoing, the deal isn't dead yet. Do you feel like Chelsea are going to get this one over the line, Niall? It feels like they need someone to come in and play that leading role for them because they don't have an out-and-out striker at the moment with the exception of um, Broher, who was on the bench yesterday against Spurs. They haven't got that focal point. Is it going to get over the line? And if it isn't Aubameyang, do they need to look elsewhere? I think that it will get over the line. I'm not sure how desperate they are. Um I thought Kai Havertz had two very good chances in that game against Tottenham. There was one where a cross came in from the right and he was rushing onto it and probably should have scored first time, ends up putting it wide. I think he just catches it on his calf or his ankle instead of flush with his foot, should have scored. And there was another really good opportunity that he had as well, which was, um, I think, was it saved by Lloris? Or, uh, there was another opportunity he had. He had two big chances in the game. Um, would Aubameyang have buried those? Would a better striker have buried those? You know, you throw your hands up in the air and say, I don't know, possibly. Mm. There's, there's, a, there's a chance. I watched Barcelona's game actually on Saturday night in, in La Liga uh, against Rayo Vallecano and they huffed and puffed. They didn't really have enough to break down uh, Rayo and they looked like a team who really have had a lot of problems behind the scenes and a team who, you know, have struggled to get the new faces integrated into the squad. Lewandowski and Rafinha both started for Barcelona. Aubameyang was on the bench. Um, and he came on, but he couldn't make an impact. I think the difference here is Barcelona desperately need the funds. They need to sell players, and they're playing a game of chess at the moment. They're just saying, we want more than what you're offering Chelsea, and Chelsea are, uh, Chelsea hold the cards here. Aubameyang's 33 years of age. He left Arsenal under a cloud. I heard someone say yesterday that it didn't work out at, at Arsenal for Aubameyang. That's nonsense. It absolutely worked out at Arsenal for him. He scored a number of goals. 92 Premier League goals, I think. It's ridiculous. Not bad. The guy had a one-in-two record at Arsenal for the first three or four years he was there. He had a flat season a couple of years ago. He didn't really score. And then there were discipline issues where he turned up late for a North London derby. And then there were some other problems behind the scenes. And Arteta said, right, you're not the sort of character I want in my squad. You're out. And is that something that's going to kind of play on the minds of those in power at Chelsea when they potentially sign him? I don't know. But what he will provide is he will provide... Uh, an option up front. He knows where the back of the net is. He is getting into his mid-30s, so is the quality declining there? Arguably. But um, Chelsea will sign a striker, whether it's a Bamiyang or not. They will sign a striker because money has not been a problem for them. Todd Bowley has gone with a, this ruthless approach into the transfer market. He signed Kukurea for £60 million. He signed Sterling. He signed Koulibaly, someone who's been linked to the Premier League move for the last five years. He's just gone in and done it. And so if Chelsea want a Bamiyang, they'll buy him. Mm. And if Barcelona say, we want 24 million euros, uh, Chelsea, I think, are in the position because Barca are so desperate to turn around and just go, no, we'll go and get someone else. But they will get someone. They wanted Jules Koundé, didn't they, from Sevilla, the centre-back. They ended up going and getting Koulibaly instead. So they, they, they will sign a striker, whether it's a Bamiyang or not, who knows. But I don't think a Bamiyang's the worst potential option in the world. In terms of personality, let's not forget that Tuchel knows a Bamiyang because they... Aubameyang would have played under Tuchel at Dortmund, wouldn't he? Yep. Yeah, so they, he kind of knows what he's all about and maybe he is the kind of player that can, kind of manager that can get the most out of him. I mean, ultimately, it does come down to Barcelona wanting to get rid of Aubameyang, I guess, Mali, and... There's Six a, months after buying him. Yeah, well, it's how they do business, isn't it? But they do need to be careful because they don't want Chelsea to walk away from the deal because they do need the money. And ultimately... If Barca don't want him to stay, hmm. there's not a lot Aubameyang can do about it. Is it? He's not going to get game time. He wants to look elsewhere and Chelsea is a great option for a player at his stage of his career. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I'm not sure on this this whole deal from, from everyone's point of view. I, I think with Chelsea, there's better strikers that they can go and sign. Um, as in sort of age-wise, you know, if you if they go and sign Aubameyang, and he does does all right for a couple of years. Then all of a sudden, you've got a thirty-five-year-old striker that you need to replace. Like, it's not exactly a long-term move. This it's a short-term fix, which is fair enough. It's what they need, but 
it's just bringing in another guy in it and, and can't they just give Brozier then a go? him off I just don't think he likes him does he doesn't seem to doesn't seem to rate him that highly I've brought him brought him on at the end of of the Spurs game of the weekend he's another player that kind of but, prefers to play out wide isn't he he doesn't give him that same as Havertz really. point. yeah exactly so he's, he's not offering anything else and they've got so many wide attacking players yeah. at Chelsea they need or it feels Is like that, they need that single focal point I'm not expecting anyone to know the answer to this is Michi Batshuayi left is he no, gone he's still there so I mean, he's he's a conventional. Let's talk about him going to Everton or something. Oh really? <laughs> but, of course there is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know why he didn't leave Chelsea five years ago. I mean, it's, it's just. Yeah, he keeps getting loaned out, doesn't he? Yeah. Forty-eight anyway, appearances for Chelsea since 2016. I mean, in all fairness to him, he did score a couple of important goals under Antonio Conte, or was it Sari? I can't remember. But Chelsea, no, it was Conte, yeah. And Chelsea ended up winning the league, didn't they, in that season, 2017 or whenever it was? So. Um, he's had his moments at Chelsea, but Michi Batshuayi at Palace was it? Yeah, did it really mm. work? Two goals, not really. You know, five in his first loan spell, two in his second loan spell. Sounds like a perfect Everton type. Yeah, of striker, it does sound, to like be honest. A, sounds like an Everton signing, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Nailed yeah. on. Uh, let's move to Nottingham Forest. They're looking to bring in some new bodies before the window closes. <laughs> Midfielder Hussam Hua is being linked with Arsenal before. Sources at Sky Sports Italy are saying that one's close. Talk Sports saying they're also after Frankfurt midfielder Dibriel Sal. They've put in a bid around £17 million for him. What do you make of Forrest's business so far this window, Marley? They've done enough of it, I suppose. Plenty of it. Bloody hell. Um, <laughs> 15 players. Yeah. I mean, they did They did lose a lot. I think, they, I think seven left mm. because of loans and contracts ending at the end of last season. Then they saw the goalkeeper... Uh, so I think there's all two goalkeepers actually. Um, signed two more, and then so I'd, I'm not sure how much money they've got, but I'd, I'd I'd be a bit worried about the financials of them in terms of I know they've got to spend money, but how much have they got, and how much is it going to hurt them if it doesn't work and they go down? Um, I'd worry a little bit about that, but in the short term, I think the players they're getting linked with now seem to be better than the ones they've got. I think when they signed like Harry Toffolo and Nico Williams and Lewis O'Brien from Huddersfield and, and Liverpool. I just thought, yeah. these aren't amazing players. These are players that might get you back out the championship next year. They're not Premier League players. And then you've seen it, I seen them obviously first-hand in Newcastle last week and they were shocking. And I thought, they still need more on top of this. And this Orel Mangala came on, looked all right, started last week, uh, started uh, yesterday, sorry, um, and, and did better. And then this, you know, the, the players they're then linked with, this Husam Awar has been linked with top, top teams in, in previous years and then sort of 50 million-ish fee and then now apparently he's available for like 12. So I don't know what's gone wrong there, but Leon seemed desperate to get a, to get rid of him. Um, I'm a little bit worried, that, a little bit confused as why no one else is in for him and whether Nottingham Forest are just going, well, so it will take the chance on him and, and see what happens. But... If they get the player that was rated fifty million a couple of years ago, if they get anything close to that, mm. you know, it's, it's clearly better than what they've got, um, and they can they can kick on. But something has to stick for them pretty soon because, you know, they they need to get as many points on the board as possible. But they did all right against West Ham yesterday, I suppose. But there was still a lot didn't of room, great, lot though, of room for improvement. I mean, I think what's interesting is the only loan player they've got this season is Henderson, the goalkeeper on loan for Man United. All the other players they've signed on permanent deals. You know, they just signed Emmanuel Dennis as well. I'm not sure whether we Dennis, picked, up, picked yeah. up on that, but yeah. you know, he was a player who, for a relegation side in Watford last season, was one of their better players along with Ishmael Assar. Um, so you know, he he's someone with, with experience. I think Kuyate's there now as well, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, free transfer. Yeah. So you know, they've picked up players with experience. I mean, Lingard, we know about him. Uh, Jack Colback's played in the Premier League in the past. Not sure whether he's quite at the level, but certainly has experience. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, Steve <laughs> Cook, who. You know, signed from Bournemouth. Does it feel a bit haphazard, though? I mean, the, the two players that have been linked I just, this, at the moment are two midfielders. I don't so know you... if that's fair to call it haphazard. I just think because, like Marley said, they lost they lost seven players. They've signed fifteen. So actually, what they've done is they've 50. signed seven players or eight players. Um, if you think about it in that way, they've mm. obviously signed fifteen in total. But when you think about the players they've lost. Seven, seven replacements, and then another seven on top of is that. Is there a strategy though, or is it just the case? I mean, there of has to these be. These players are available. There, let's get them in. There has to be. I mean, I wouldn't ima- imagine Steve Cooper, who won so many plaudits for the way Nottingham Forest got themselves out of the Championship last season and went on a good FA Cup run. I can't imagine someone 
like him is just pin the ta- pinning the tail on the donkey. Depends and just... who's looking after it, though, doesn't it? Yeah, that's very true. And I don't know much about the backroom setup at Nottingham Forest. I'll have to look into that a little bit more. But I think it's unfair to call it haphazard when you've just had that many signings. I think it's natural that it's going to look that way. I think it's natural that it's going to look mm. a little bit disjointed and a bit of a mess. It just feels chaotic because of the number of signings. There might well be a plan. Who knows? I know um, there's some question marks over Marinakis, the the owner who also owns Olympiacos. That he, that like, oh, okay, he's very eccentric. But yeah, do you think Forrest has... he's been picking the team, for example, for previous clubs, not under Steve Cooper, but previously there's been accusation that he was picking the team, going to the dressing room, all this kind of thing. Yeah, I, I get that, and also with Forrest as well, they're obviously a big club and a you know biggest club in a two club city in Nottingham mm. and they've got heritage and they're now a Premier League team which naturally means the commercial revenue will be increased the difference in um, TV broadcast revenue from the championship to the Premier League is night and day and so I just wonder whether that money which will be dropping into Forrest's account at some point is already being spent mm. as mm. long as they've done the sums it's, it's alright you know if you've got 10 million I mean, like, this isn't obviously the right thing, but if you've got, let's say you've got 150 million coming your way, if you've spent, you know, 100 million of that or 150 million of that, you're where you were, you're back where you were, and if it works, it works. Um, But, yeah, I I did see one funny tweet from the weekend, I did see, which was uh, a Nottingham Forest fan saying, people taking the mick out of how we're spending, but we've been... We've been throwing millions at the transfer market and hoping something sticks for 20 years now, so it's nothing new to us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap up with Leicester City. They're considering the future of Yori Tielemans at the moment. He's been linked with a move to Arsenal heavily this window. I expect it to be wrapped up by now, if I'm honest. But the Times reporting that Leicester City now want to hang on to the player mm-hmm. and let him leave on a free next window. Given... What's happened to Leicester City this transfer window so far, Niall? No outfield players signed. I think they're the only team in the whole of the Football League not to bring in an outfield player. And some big names leaving as well. Actually, is there more value in Tielemans for Leicester City that they keep him for this season as a body rather than let him go for £30 million or whatever? Well, you say keep him as a body. He won't just be a body. He'll start games because mm. he's one of their better players. And I think that there is value in keeping a player of the quality of Yuri Tielemans. I think that... The speculation hasn't been helpful. I think his performances certainly took a dip last season because of the speculation linking in with Arsenal. It's not just this summer. It seems to have been for the last three or four months. Why wouldn't Arsenal be interested in a player like Yuri Tielemans? He's still young. He's shown his capabilities in the middle of the park for Leicester. He's helped them win titles. They won the FA Cup and he was you know, obviously the hero of that FA Cup game against Chelsea where he banged in an unbelievable goal at Wembley into the top corner to win that title for, for Leicester City. So I definitely think that there's value in keeping him. I think... The problem Leicester have at the moment is they spent a fair bit of money last summer. They obviously spent a a significant amount on one of the best training grounds in in European football, if not in the world, that they've got up there at Seagrave, which is an incredible facility, I can promise you. Um, And then you get hit by a pandemic after you've shelled out hundreds of millions on a training ground. And everyone says the Harry Maguire money paid for that, but... You know, when the, with the way football accounts are done, I'm not sure it's quite as simple as, oh, we've got this money from Maguire, mm. let's spend it on the training ground. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure it works like that. Um, and as I say, last season, they, they invested in Pats and Dakar. They invested in Bubakari's, uh, Buba Sumare. They invested in, uh, in other areas as well around the club infrastructure-wise. And I think that that's something that Leicester have done very, very well, is build up the infrastructure. And they've been able to sign players who have been hits more than misses. And the last couple of signings maybe haven't quite been up to it. Yannick Vestergaard looks like maybe a bit of an error when they signed him. Ryan Bertrand's barely been fit, bit of an error signing him. Schmeichel's obviously left and you know, they've had Danny Ward on their books for a few years now. It looks like he's finally going to get his chance. So will they Will they sign the player to replace him? They've signed a, a third choice goalkeeper, but I'm not thinking that player's going to be someone who you'll see regularly feature for Leicester. So... In terms of the options they've got, they are quite limited at the moment. And therefore, with Ndidi coming back from a, a long-term injury, which kept him out for the majority of the back end of last season, and Buba Sumare not totally favoured by the manager, Papi Mendy as well, coming back from a, a long-term injury. Those are their midfield options. Hamza Chowdhury's gone out on loan to Watford. Dewsbury Hall's a young player who's more of a, an attacking midfielder, a bit like Madison, rather than a defensive midfielder like Tielemans. So actually their options, when you lay it bare and think of it like that, is probably leaning towards keeping Yuri Tielemans. If they sell him, I think they'll put themselves in far too weak a position um, 
this season. That's not to say that they're going to struggle. I don't think they will. I think they'll be all right. I just don't think they can hope for a, a much more optimistic finish this season than last season, particularly if they sell Yuri Tielemans. Do you share that, which I think is quite an optimistic look from Niall in terms of Leicester City's fortunes this season, Marley? If you were a Leicester City fan, would you be looking on and be slightly worried by the lack of players that have come into that team? Yeah, I would. Um, I think the, I think they're in a period of like transition uh, where the, the the sort of core players that they've got are, are you know in Vardy's case getting old, in Madison's case attracting you know uh, clubs fluttering their eyelashes eyelashes at him and, and potentially making bids for him and stuff. Harvey Barnes is is kind of similar. Um, and then Tielemans has been attracting interest for, for a few years, to be fair, but people were probably put off by the fact that he had a fair bit left on his contract. So I think I think it happens with with when teams sort of... Uh, they win things when they're not meant to win things, like well, Leicester won the FA Cup and they weren't expected to win the FA Cup. And then it's, it's I always talk about that mentality of like, oh, we've won it now. And then people don't want to kick on and win it again. Because once they have one bad season, then people start like maybe leaving and saying things that that don't sort of push to get back. They're, they're not sort of pushing to get back to to the levels where they win the FA Cup again. They just think, bloody hell, that was good, wasn't it? We won it in twenty twenty, and then we won the league in twenty sixteen. How how mint was that? They don't look at Leicester and go, we need to crash that top four. They blew the chance twice in a row. When they came fifth on like the last day of the season yeah, and I didn't get how in much the Champions League, that will have on them. I, I mean, that, that, I think it's if huge. they finish in the Champions League, even one of those seasons, it could have been huge. Yeah, I do. Effect on the club. I do because I think that I think Tielemans will look at that and go, if we didn't finish there, then, then <laughs> when are we going to do it? And mm-hmm. maybe now, when I'm 25, 26, is when I need to go to a club that is going to be in Europe every season. And whether that's Arsenal, whether it's Chelsea or whoever it may be, whoever he ends up at, um, it's probably more likely than than uh, Leicester getting in the, the Champions League or the Europa League again. That Tielemans transfer news could develop over the next few hours by the looks of it. Just looking at a few of the things floating around on Twitter and social media at the moment, there's a few suggestions that maybe that Arsenal deal isn't as dead as buried as I suggested a moment ago. So keep an eye on that and we'll be back later with Football Social Daily shots to update on everything that's happened today in the Premier League. But that is it for today's podcast. There'll be another show full of Premier League news and views for you tomorrow and we'll see you then. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.